You're listening to the Elephant in the Room Property Podcast, where the big things that never get talked about actually get talked about. I'm Veronica Morgan, real estate agent, buyer's agent, co-host of Foxtel's Location, Location, Location Australia, and author of a new book called Auction Ready, How to Buy Property at Auction Even Though You're Scared Shitless. And I'm Chris Bates, financial planner and mortgage broker, and together we're going to uncover who's really making the decisions when you buy a property. Don't forget that you can access the transcript for this episode on the web website as well as download our free full or forecaster report which experts can you trust to get it right the elephant in the room.com.au please stick around for this week's elephant rider boot camp and we have a cracking dumbo of the week coming up before we get started everything we talk about on this podcast is general in nature and should never be considered to be personal financial advice If you're looking to get advice, please seek the help of a licensed financial advisor or buyer's agent. They will tailor and document their advice to your personal circumstances. Now let's get cracking. We've probably discussed tax in one form or another in nearly every episode on this podcast. And if you think it's a boring topic, you've obviously never heard Chris or me ranting about negative gearing in the capital gains tax concession land tax or why... The desire to minimise your tax bill is a terrible reason for buying an investment property. That said, property investing and tax are topics that go hand in hand. Knowing how to best structure your investments can have a significant impact on the amount of tax you pay, which then affects your cash flow and ultimately your ability to reinvest. In this episode, we pick the brains of an expert in this field, Alison Lacey, who is an accountant and director of the firm Ecovis Clark Jacobs. Alison's interest in tax as it relates to property is more than purely professional. She describes herself as having a real love for property, for investment and wealth building. Over the years, she's bought and sold property, renovated, done a knockdown, rebuild and uh, owns several rental properties. So being an accountant has certainly been helpful when making decisions about property. But on the flip side, the practical experience of doing it has made her a much better accountant and empathic with clients. So we're looking forward to hearing about how we might be able to save tax both now and in the future Thank you so much for joining us, Alison. Thanks. We're happy to be here. Thank you, Alison. This is definitely a long overdue episode. We've been wanting to do an episode on tax uh, since the start, really, but we just haven't really found someone that we, you know, really connect <laughs> with. So very happy that you're here. Um, your love for, uh, for property, what came first, your profession or kind of property? Well, Probably property in a way. Mm. I'm the daughter of a builder and now the wife of a builder. Mm. So there's always been property and discussion about things. My parents had some rental properties. Um, So it's always been discussed at home. Mm -hmm. Um, And then when we, uh, I met my now husband, we bought a house and we intended to renovate and flip it. We stayed there for about 15 years <laughs> um, <laughs> before we then build our, bought our next one and um, did the knockdown rebuild. So um, along the way, obviously, being an accountant, there's been lots of um, pluses and knowledge and, you know, things put in there. We've bought some rental properties. Um, so, yeah, so it's been very good. So you said you didn't knock down rebuild and your partner is a builder. He built it. He built it. Mm-hmm. How did the owner-builder sort of experience go because they do say that uh, it's not as um, easy to pull off because you've got the habit of potentially overcapitalizing or changing everything. You've, <laughs> yeah, you know, you go. you've got unproductivity of the other business. There's other consequences. Yeah, so, so how did that experience all go? 
So we made a decision with our place that he would have uh, 12 months off effectively from Mm -hmm. work and that was the job. Mm. Um, The agreement was that the job was to be completely finished and it was. So we were fully (laughs) landscaped and finished when we moved in, (laughs) which was great. Partly because we had renovated our first house that took us about six years. So the first year we did the kitchens and the bathrooms. The next year we did the internal bedrooms. And And you did that while you were living there. Yeah, we lived through it all. Mm. We built the backyard and the deck and the next year we built the garage and then the front yard and the driveway. So so having done that, we didn't want to go through that again and he didn't want that burden. Um, Mm. So owner building was interesting. Mm. Um, Our biggest issue was uh, homeowner's warranty and issues around that. Uh, When was Um, that? Was that around the time when that was? Oh, no, no, getting it because he was building his own home. Uh, So he was both the builder and and the the client client. Mm. um, and also the bank. Because yeah. again, we uh, you know we sold our previous home and we had plenty of equity and capital, yeah. but they couldn't quite get their head around the fact that there was no contract. And we oh, and, and wow. if we had a contract, it was a contract between Grant the builder and Alison and Grant yeah. <laughs> the owner. That's a good uh, point. So, oh, yes. so actually, finance and I, that's something that you know probably we'll talk about. But mm. finance is actually the biggest issue for a lot of people nowadays. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I mean that's right with home and builders, uh, owner builder. You know, wherever you want to say it. Um, yep, exactly. Not many banks mm. want to go anywhere near it just mm-hmm. because they uh, they yep. know that it's a more risk. There's no, you know, uh, you, you know, personal affairs. It's too interconnected, yep. and um, you know, you've got to be licensed, and you know, there's just so many risks to it for the bank. They much prefer you to outsource that. <laughs> and everyone thinks, oh, it's, oh, it's a great married to a builder. That'd be great. <laughs> that actually creates problems. <laughs> there was plenty of interesting discussions about room sizes and changing windows and. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So yeah. on a tax side, let's talk this through because let's say that you um because there's pros to this strategy on a tax side, right? So um let's just not your pitch situation, but let's say someone does buy a block of land and then they do do a build. Yes. And then they decide to sell that. Mm-hmm. Um and it's their principal place of residence mm-hmm. and they say make a million dollars. Do you pay tax on that or how does it, how does the tax work on owner builders? So if it's their principal place of residence, uh then there would be no tax on that property. So obviously you've got all your cost base issues and your you know purchase of land, per, do the building. But if they have had no other principal place of residence since they bought that block of land, then that would be tax free. Mm. And in your experience, have you seen hey, it? Sorry, yeah. can you just cut in there for a sec? So if they if so they, they had another principal place yeah, of residence, which yeah. is what we did. Yeah. So we had a house. Um, we bought a block of land. Well, we actually bought a house and land. Mm. Um, and we rented that for two years and then we knocked that down and then we built the yeah, house. Okay. So I am keeping our first house as our principal place of residence till I sold it, mm. which means that that first two years really of this house is subject to capital gains tax. Right. And then how there's a couple of different ways that you can sort of calculate what that is, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Sorry to cut in with you. No, it's good. I just thought that was an important point because people get very you know, oh, yeah, I'll just keep that as an investment or I'll do this or I'll do that. And and I, I'm always saying to people, go and get some ac- an advice from accountants. Very important. The timing of what you do, yep. where you do, where you get valuations or appraisals and all that sort of stuff is really important. So what's that process that you would go through yep. in terms of working out how to calculate the capital gain in that period? So the tax office would really look at it that it's a time-based thing and mm. then you apportion the gain over the number of years that you've owned that property. Mm-hmm. So uh, in my I, example, for instance, <laughs> mm. um, if I – We've now owned that property, the new one, mm. for, say, six years. Um, we rented it for two years and then we sold our other place and then we had our new house for mm. four mm. years. So a third of that um, gain that we make on the new one would be subject to capital Which gains tax. Which is interesting because then what about cost base? Because you build a new house. So so, so you keep all your cost base records right. because I know what I paid for the land. Yep. 
Um, I know what my holding costs were while I was building mm. that house mm. in terms of land because we had land tax. Yeah. Um, and, you know, rates and things. Well, we, we wasn't mm. built yet, but we're still paying for all those. So all part of your cost base. Um, so that you need to document that. And right. that's actually one of the big issues we get with clients when, you know, mm. they sell a property they've owned for 10 or 20 years and they don't have all those original records. Yeah, that's a bit, it's just very timely for me personally. So, you know, <laughs> <laughs> literally. Veronica I mean, sees this as an opportunity to get some tax absolutely. advice. Absolutely. I want to get a bit of free tax advice. So, I mean, I have been collecting it and all of my bills and all of my invoices and all the rest of it. Um, but I literally two days ago moved into my house. Finally, we've been talking about this yeah. for quite a while on the podcast. And, and I had it rented out originally and then I spent some money actually upgrading it in that time because even the even the students were complaining about the condition of it for a period of time. Mm-hmm. And then I basically gutted it and rebuilt it. Um, and, and, yeah, I would hate to think that for the first five years it would just be amortised in with the, you know, the, the greater gain, which yep. is after post-renovation. So mm-hmm. that's how you do that. So you've got to – So then the other way to look at It's complicated gains. by the sounds of it. Yeah, so mm-hmm. the other way people often look at capital gains too is – a valuation point. So mm-hmm. I bought it for this price. I rented it for five years, for instance, and yep. it was valued at, at the end of that five-year yes. period, you get a valuation. So that growth period mm. is subject to capital gains. Then you move into it and it's So that's the other way cost. to calculate it. Yeah. But the and tax office is not so keen on that. All oh, right. And that's actually what I did do, but I got an a, a agent to appraise it. Is that, does that count? You really do need a written valuation, mm. I think. Um, yeah. You've got it because you've got to be able to show. Demonstrate. Um, demonstrate what it is. And it can't be just anecdotal or, yes. you know, it needs to be um, by someone that knows what they're talking about yeah. and in writing ideally. And, you know, email could be fine. Yeah. but. Um, you've got to have some documents mm. if someone wants to look at that in the future as yeah. evidence. And I mean, that's a really good point. So evidence mm. keeping and keeping records is, you know, fundamental 101, but most people are pretty poor at Very keeping poor. records. <laughs> and But you are investing in property, um, especially around capital gains tax and all your mm-hmm. rental receipts, you've got to keep these because, yep. you know, chances are you might get audited. And if you do, then you're in a bit of trouble, um, mm. especially when you're investing in property. Um, in terms of this... But this res- principal place of resident exemption, I think is a big part of the property market, right? Very. So when someone is upgrading there, um, how long can they keep, let's say they're buying another house and they've already got a house, but they decide to move into the new house and then keep their other house growing tax-free because they're going to sell it. How long could you potentially keep <laughs> your existing house Growing Good tax question. free if you're not living in it. Mm, if you're not living tricky, in it, tricky. Yeah, it depends. We would probably look at which house rather than the first house, which one has the most capital gain on it yep. during mm. a period. So, I would get valuations at the time you moved, so you had them up your sleeve for yep. later. Um, indefinitely, really, I guess you could have that first house as your principal place of residence. But yeah. if you rent it, no, you can't because if you rent it out, then it's a rental property subject to CGT. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. So you would move your second property would then become, because if that's where you're physically living, that's your principal place of residence. Yeah. So the only way to potentially keep that is to potentially not rent it. Would you say like, let's say sometimes people, be, hang on a minute, but like, say you rent it out for six months, a year, a really small amount of time, and then you sold it. Your own, and it was principal place of residence right up to that point. It does have a really small proportion of the whole value, right? Mm. You don't have to pay it on the no, whole lot. of course not. But, you, I mean, you only pay it on that last year. But, you know, sometimes people are leaving Sydney, for example. Yes. And, you know, I get this and they'll go, well, I've got a really good house in Sydney. I want to keep that growing tax-free. And I'm going to move to, I don't know, South Coast or something like that, right? And that's not as good a property to grow. Or I'm going to move to an apartment. Mm-hmm. And I can afford to keep my house. 
Sometimes from a strategy point of view, it's, it's good to keep good. that house growing tax-free for a period. I was just wondering if there's any kind of ways... Well, very few people would be able to afford to do that without having a tenant in there helping to pay potentially the mortgage. Yep. And once you put a tenant in... As soon as you put a tenant, tenant in, in, that's yep. when you... So right. if it was sitting there tax... If it was sitting there empty, um, I think you would have no tax consequences. Mm-hmm. You could just leave it there indefinitely mm. and deem that to be your principal place of residence. Yep. Um, and then obviously the other one's subject to capital gains tax. Okay, cool. What mm. if you wait Airbnb? Oh, same thing, Wait, I guess. E- effectively, that's renting that property. Yeah, yeah. Because if you're deriving an income, if you rent it for one weekend a year, no problem kind mm. of thing. But if you rent it permanently or every, um, the tax office with Airbnb, there's lots of stuff around that now. But effectively, mm. if you're renting it for all the big holidays, Christmas, Easter, school holidays, all that sort of stuff, and it's empty for the boring rest of the year kind mm. of thing, or you rent it for, you know, a biggish chunk of the year, then it's the same as a rental property effectively. Mm, interesting. Your income is ex- is included as taxable income and the expenses of the property are deductible and to the extent it's rented. Yeah, right, yeah. And, and once again, record keeping, right? Mm. But further to that point, there's been recent changes with uh, expats, right? Yep. So can you fill us in on that? Ah, well, it's bec- the legislation's only come in fairly recently um, because of the change of government, it all got put on hold, but it has all been approved now. So um, for properties that I'm pretty sure you owned after 2017. Yes, that's yeah, the thing, isn't it's, it? There's all the dates involved in everything. Um, complicated. If, <laughs> yeah. if you sell your property after the 30th of June 2020 mm. and you're a non-resident, you don't get any capital gains tax concessions anymore. And what's the definition of a non-resident? That's a bit of a contentious one. <laughs> again, again, you probably should get some good advice around mm. that. Um, typically, though, if you go for more than, say, two years or you it, intention's a big one, if you have no intention of coming back mm. um, or you intend to be a resident overseas for a long period of time, um, it, they also look at what's really happening with your family. Like if your whole family goes, right. um, then, you know, yeah. if you've got no connection back here with Australia, then you're likely to be a non-resident. Mm. Um, but it really depends on personal circumstances. So you really need to look at that. It's interesting because a lot of people, you know, uh, offered great opportunities to go and work in Singapore or Hong Kong or London mm-hmm. or somewhere like yeah. that. And so then they're going to have to factor that into their yes, package. very much so. You know, a loss mm-hmm. of tax benefit. So if yeah. you if you know that you're going to go for a certain number of years, for instance, you know, you might, you know, a lot of people go overseas with their kids and then come back for later schooling or, mm. you know, things like that. Um, if you know you're coming back, maybe not such a problem. Um, but if you think that you might sell your house while you're away, yep, definitely need right. to factor the cash flow of that in. Mm. If you think you're coming back and you're going to rent it and hold it until you come back, you need to actually establish establish yourself as a resident mm. before you sell it. So That's you can't yeah. you can't just come back um, for a week. Decide, oh, I don't <laughs> yeah. want to live here anymore. Stick it on the market next month and go. You mm. really need to come back and be a tax resident. And when the tax office looks at who is a tax resident, um, often they might look at, well, where was your residency on your last tax return? So it mm. might, yep. it's it's certainly months and years rather than weeks kind wow. of thing. So and this is, I think, this is a stupid tax. Policy and a lot of tax policy is quite frustrating because mm-hmm. I think that they're sometimes flawed and they could be they can get taken advantage of. It's definitely going to drive behaviour, isn't it? Well, it does, yeah. and that's it the does. thing, and mm. that's exactly right. So We've the behaviour this will drive <laughs> yeah. is kind of shooting themselves in the foot. So they're, they're they're trying to encourage people overseas to sell their property um, because that'll create more stock on the Australian market for other Australians who are living here right. who need property. Mm-hmm. The problem is after June thirty, most people are a bit busy. <laughs> and so they will think I'm going to sell it and then all of a sudden it comes to April and they can't sell it because if you've got to do a campaign 
And it goes over June 30. And it's contract date. So, yep. yep. Oh, there you go. So it's not even set. Oh, so it's contract, no, it's it's exchange. contract date. So it's exchange. No. Yeah, exchange Change. of contracts, yeah. not yeah. settlement. Well, that's better. So, <laughs> bit yes, longer. Yeah. a bit longer. Like, extra six weeks. Six weeks, but it's not <laughs> six years. So I think the reality is on July 1, if you're living in London and you say you had a house in Melbourne or Sydney and you took a job over there and you were said you're going for two years, but you end up being there for 20 years. Mm-hmm. And that house has got, you know, hundreds of thousands of capital gains tax. You will do everything you can not to sell that property. Yeah. And, and so the behaviour it will drive mm-hmm. is actually less Holding. stock yep. on the market um, because people overseas will say, no way I'm giving 200 grand to the government. And um, mm. so I, th- I think it's actually driving the wrong behaviour. Do, do, do you agree with that? So, I think people really should treat it as an investment decision, separate to a tax decision. But I agree, the tax is a big driver. And yes, I think they will hold on to it. Mm. Um, mm. They are getting you on the flip side of that, though. So if you have vacant property now in lots of states, there's a, a surcharge on that. Which actually Which is um, good. Yeah, yeah. 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 So you should rent it. Mm. Um, and then also, uh, there's like a land tax surcharge for non residents now in most ah. states oh, as yes. well. So you're paying more land tax. So oh, people might point. actually look at that and then, They're really you know, the pot, and they? consider, well, it's costing me more to hold it too. As, oh, yes, I'm going to pay that capital gains tax, but it's costing me more to hold it now than it was before. Too. And more stamped if they're going to buy. Yep. I mean, this is people already own, but yes. others are non-residents, non-residents that buy, pay buy. more stamp duty. Yeah, mm. which is sort of interesting as so well. So the whole non-resident question is a big, you know, big issue for buying, but also holding properties nowadays. Mm. Yeah, and I think that's the thing, isn't it? It's like the whole, um, but people just trying to avoid capital gains tax. Yes. Like, I mean, I've got a client at the moment who, um, you know, they've got an apartment, they inherited the apartment, which we probably don't need to go into all the how inheritance tax works in yep. terms of when you get assets, but um, they have got a reasonable size land, uh, capital gain they have to pay. Um, and the reality is they want to hold on this apartment because they don't want to pay the capital gains tax, but that by not selling it, um, they're stopping future opportunities. That's We see that all the time, actually. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, that's um, one of the reasons, and it's happened in my family too, you know, people have held on to property for a long time and had no capital growth effectively or mm, very little capital mm. growth because they don't want to wear the capital gains tax bill. But, where in fact, they probably would have been better to have sold that property, paid the tax and used the capital. But if they haven't had any capital something. growth, they wouldn't have to pay any Well, capital they might have tax. at some point, you know. <laughs> right. Like yeah. think about mining, you know, like yeah. or, or, or suburbs, well, you know, Perth has had some big growth areas. They've got a capital mm. gain, even if yeah. it's not huge. Yeah. But then for the last 10 years, there might have been no capital growth. Foregoing opportunity. So they could have invested that money in something that would have had a better return, um, but because of the don't want to pay the tax, we're not going to. Even 20 grand, like it wouldn't be in this situation, there might be such a small capital gains tax, but just the, and they don't even have, they don't even know what it is. And that's about knowing Mm. your numbers. Like that's, you know, if you know what that capital gain is, so Mm. maybe talk to your accountant, find Mm. out what the gain is and then verse that compared to the rate of return you're getting from your rental yield and what you could get somewhere else. And it's the mm. opportunity cost. Exactly. So if you, and good thing about capital gains taxes, you only have to pay it once, right? Like you, you pay it, it's over. And usually you're paying it when you've got the cash to pay it because you've sold the property. Yes. So mm. assuming you've got equity in the property, you've got the cash to pay it. And also the, the thing is that yeah, you've been acquiring this sort of growth over a period of time and not paying tax as you were acquiring it. Yep. And so therefore it's a bit more of a bit of pull to take, you yep. know, to, um, to take at the end of it all. But I'm interested in, um, you know, how you, well, the sort of people that come across, you come across, because of course a lot of accountants, and I've heard this Time and time again, they recommend to their client, look, you know, you want to minimize your tax, then go and buy a negative gearing pro- a property in negative gear. Yep. And the best way, 
you get the maximum negative gearing is to go buy brand new. And the accountant will say that because of the numbers, right? The reality is, as you've alluded to, um, not all property goes up, as we've talked about many, many times, and, mm-hmm. and not all property is equal. Mm-hmm. Um, what's the expectation that you find a lot of your clients would have prior to you educating them clearly? Um, what is it, the expectation that a lot of people have in terms of property and tax minimisation? So most people would probably buy a rental property to minimise their tax mm. is the is the first one. Yeah. Um, or because they've maybe had a bit of education and they're looking at that long-term capital growth, you know. Mm. Um, so now there's been a bit of a shift, I suppose, in terms of, and there's lots of, you know, more education and discussion around yeah. buying a property to get that growth. And you might actually buy a rental property first instead of your own home mm. because you can buy a property somewhere for good capital growth and you get the tax benefits to help you afford to pay for it and rent somewhere you want to live, for instance. But there is a downside of that, Um, isn't there? Yes, because it's costing you to hold that property. Um, But also all your equity would be in that. Is in a rental property. Yeah. So it completely depends on personal circumstances. Most of my clients would probably have a property first Mm, and they are usually using that equity in that property to then go and buy another rental property. Um, they obviously, a lot of people like the new aspect, as you said, because mm. there's big depreciation and, and capital allowances, which is non-cash tax deductions, mm-hmm. which means they save more tax and not costing them as much. Yep. Um, I guess we've seen in the last two or three years, several years, um, with so many new units and things on the market, they've bought properties and either lost value if they've bought off the plan or they've bought properties and um, the value's just been the same for mm. years. Yep. Um Often the rental expectations they've been told don't eventuate because oh, there's yeah. been yeah, so many point. properties come on the market. Yeah, point. Yep. Um, so it's really important that you kind of do your numbers and do, certainly in terms of valuations and borrowing, build if it's off the plan, mm. build in a good buffer for valuations. Mm. Really good advice. I really like that, um, you know, the rentals you expected was, like don't. you just told, <laughs> yep. was basically a lie. And when yep. you do finally get that property, um you're not the only one trying to rent it because everyone's settling on the same day. Exactly. And, yes. um, you know, 600 apartments or 100 apartments. And to be honest, if they're building one building, you look around, there's probably another 10 cranes. So there's 10 more buildings coming. So Correct. it gets pretty <laughs> dire. And um, it, it actually, and the problem is in the building, someone just starts renting, you know, the best apartment rents for $300 cheaper than, and the whole apartment building gets revalued That's from a right. rental price yep. yeah. because everyone says, well, that one rented for 700. So I think it's a really good point. In terms of depreciation, we've had depreciation people on the podcast. Mm, yep. And, um, you know, they're a little bit conflicted in terms of depreciation because that's what they do is provide depreciation reports. Can you please explain how it actually works? Um, not only on the, because I know there's a lot of change of the rules, but also when you <laughs> sell the property. Yes. How does it affect your cost base and how does it affect your capital gain? Because I don't think many people understand that. Mm. They just understand that you get a tax benefit. On your income While you're tax, holding the property, yep. yeah. But they don't understand the impact when you have to sell, sell the property. It. Yeah, so de- the depreciation reports or quantity surveyors reports um, have really two elements in them. There's, there's if you picture it, um, the capital cost of the building itself. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if it's a house, it's the bricks and mortar and roof and lands, external landscaping and, you know, that sort of thing, mm. the stuff that you cannot take away. And then there's depreciable items within the house that or apartment that you can remove. So your ovens and your curtains and your carpet and your light fittings and things like that. Um, so 
uh, a depreciation report or quantities of as report will cover both of those things. The mm. depreciation items, you get a tax deduction for them um, as you hold that property. And obviously, because they will expire over their lifetime, you'll replace the carpet and the curtains and the, throw out the dishwasher and put a new one in. And you can only um, do that on brand new on properties. On new properties, now. correct. Yep. yep, yep. Unless you had purchased it prior Pre- to 19, oh, sorry, 2019. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yep. Where the changes? 2016, um, was it? 17. So, yeah, yeah, 17. Um, yep. So <laughs> depreciation, you, know. you get yeah, yeah. <laughs> you get the full, yeah exactly. Um, <laughs> we get the deduction, no further issue. That's just each year, yeah. and it will run out over the lifetime of those assets. Yeah. The quantity is that forty years? No, no. That like yes. uh, curtains and carpets and things and oh, air sorry. conditioners will have a life. Sorry, yeah, yeah. Yep. Not, sorry. I'm so just... the other part is capital allowance items, yes. which is the bricks and mortar yep. stuff. So capital allowances is 40 years. Yeah, it's 2.5% okay. a year. Mm. Um, but obviously 2.5% on the cost of building a house can be thousands of dollars. It mm. might be, you know, I know. I seven, just ten. <laughs> yeah, exactly, $1,000 mm. a year. So you get a tax deduction in each year while you own that property. Mm. But at the end, when you sell that property, that capital allowance portion is clawed back ah. as part of the capital gains tax calculation. Mm. So... Um, effectively, it reduces the cost base of that property mm-hmm. because mm. you've had a tax deduction for it yeah. along the way so while you you've held it. Dip. No, that's right. Mm. Yeah, so, I mean, let's just give some listeners some numbers. Let's say the apartment was, say, a million dollars. Yes. Um, you know, really the problem with these new apartments, and this is not the whole purpose of this podcast, <laughs> but in reality is with depreciation is a good example. The land component might only be, say, 200,000. Yep. That's probably being generous. Mm -hmm. And the building's worth 800. Mm -hmm. And then of that 800, maybe 100,000 was fittings. Depreciable. Yep. So that's the, you know, the oven and the light switches and all that sort of jazz, mm -hmm. Um, which is only a small element. And then most of the money, though, let's say 700,000 is the building. Correct. Because it cost $100 million to build that building, Mm -hmm. right? So that that 700,000 is depreciating every year at 2.5%. Yep which is quite a lot of money. That's 20 grand a year. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what ends up happening is someone... You've had say, you've had big tax deductions all the way yep. through and you've saved lots of tax and everyone thinks the cash flow out of this rental property is not too bad. <laughs> but when you come to sell it and if you've held it $20,000 a year and you've held it for 10 years, that's a $200,000 adjustment to your cost base, reducing your cost base, um, which means the capital gain is that much more when you come to sell it. Exactly. So let's say that's a... Brilliant. So they bought it for a million. They lost. It's now only worth eight hundred from a tax point of view because mm-hmm. it was two hundred thousand, mm. and then they sell it for a million because it didn't go up. Yep. Um, <laughs> yep. Now they would think that there's no capital gains. I paid a million. Mm. Yeah. I but bought it, it and sold it for years. a million. You've got to take two hundred off. So now you got gain two hundred. So you've actually yeah. got to pay back the government for the tax. And well, probably like fifty grand. You know, is probably because it's halved and mm. then it's yeah, halved half again because the top tax rate. So Correct. that's fifty grand of tax that. They didn't, and and if there was no real growth in terms of you know the value, then mm. they might not have the cash to pay that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How often do you come across something like that? In the past, not a lot, but in in now, yes, mm. we are seeing that more, particularly with apartments. Really, mm. yes, mm. because there's not lots of growth, and people do tend to hold them when there's maybe not a lot of growth. They're getting yeah. their tax deductions, and then mm. it does come back to bite in the end. Oh wow! Mm. This is actually really interesting because we've talked about so many reasons why, but mm. you know, the risks around buying um, brand new and off the plan, and this is one we haven't touched on before. This is a massive elephant. It's mm. really, I think, it really hurts people too that might sell it within like a ten-year time frame because yeah. if you buy yeah. 
you know, with property cycles, if you buy it and it doesn't have that growth aspect mm. to it, but you are claiming your capital allowances yeah. each year and in you your think tax it's return. You nothing, so I'll keep it. That's right. It's actually costing um, you big But time. if you sell it before you've had that growth uplift, or maybe the cycle, mm. property cycle hasn't moved and you, for whatever yep. reason, have to sell it. So I really talk to clients and go, if you can't afford to hold a property for at least 10 years, then you shouldn't buy the property. So, mm. yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I saw a client in a Melbourne apartment, one better. Bought it for four hundred in two thousand six. Mm-hmm. Uh, sold it for three sixty. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Melbourne's had some shocking. Yeah, I mean so, the stats are horrible. I've seen them. Yeah. That's, that, that's still did a, lot, that's... a lot of stuff in the city was selling. Yeah. For, everything's just gone sideways for, for a long, yes. long time. Well over a decade. At, at four hundred thousand, the kind of the, it, nothing goes more. And mm. the older ones, because there's newer ones at four hundred. Mm. Like why would you pay two four hundred? Yeah. So I can get, um, you know, and they paid. They sold it for three sixty mm-hmm. over twelve years later. And, and they, they had a, math, they had a capital, capital gains allowances. tax bill. Yep. Mm-hmm. And they lost 40 grand, but they still had to pay capital gains tax. Ouch, that's just. So it, oh, it, so they've lost yeah. 40 grand plus the stamp duty, plus selling costs, yep. plus a capital gains tax bill. And people think they can't go wrong. No. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I know it's heartbreaking. It really yeah. is. It's, it's, um, oh, anyway. So yeah. you, you're seeing more of that. Yes. And is that because mm. people have bought these and then they can't? really comfortably afford to keep it or because they're really realising they're sitting on a bad asset? I think they make a decision that's quite emotional and they go, well, it hasn't made me any money, like it hasn't grown in value mm. for several years, so I'll get rid of it now. So they should have made um, that decision they probably not should have made it earlier. to not bought, yeah. not bought or it. Or even the, better. Yeah, consider, <laughs> yeah, or get rid of it earlier than mm. they do. Mm. Mm. It's a hard thing to do though because, you then, know, no one wants to admit they were – it's in not hindsight, been a great there's, a reg- there's been a regret. Mm. That's painful. So yes. I, I get lots of clients, um, you know, sometimes through this podcast, sometimes through LinkedIn or wherever it might be, and um, they'll come in and say, can you please, you know, chat me through my current properties and even last week. Um, how do you – let's say you've bought a property and you know it's not a great property, which I'm sure a lot of people in this pod listening today has got that. <laughs> and it's lost money. I'm sorry, I shouldn't laugh. I, I get a lot of people come to me and they say, oh, I've been listening to the podcast, I have to confess, yep. I've got a couple that are really bad, you know. Yep. This is quite yep. sweet actually and I'm, mm. I'm good, at least you won't get any more that are really bad. bad. But keep, yeah. That's yeah. that's exactly yeah. right. And so yeah. hindsight, you know, this is not a judging thing at all, it's all about no. just make, looking back on decisions. Oh, and, God, I've made mistakes. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And moving yeah. forward. We all have. On it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and it's like today's today, right, so we mm. need to, what can we do for the yes. future and, yep. and that's the reality. So. And a lot of the, um, it's really hard because, I mean, even one last week who, um, you know, went to a financial advisor, very frustrating. And then that financial advisor sent them to a spruker mm. and then that spruker <laughs> sold young girl, um, doing really well for herself, working really hard, couldn't afford to buy in Sydney, all the family telling her to buy, mm. uh, had all this pressure. Uh, parents said, just get an investment property, went to a financial advisor. And then all of a sudden she bought two mm. Um, places in southeast Queensland, one a townhouse and one a house and land package. Uh, um, house and land package has <laughs> gone sideways, which no. most house and land packages do. Yep. The townhouse, though, um, because of new supplies, fallen um, about 40, 50 grand. Oh. Um, the, the house and land package, she probably could walk away with her money back. Um, it's a nightmare, isn't it? To, yeah, it to is. To be honest, I think she should almost bite the bullet. It depends how, like, does she have the resources to pay out the loss, you know? Uh, yes. So she's, because she's doing, you know, quite well for herself financially and she's working hard and saving hard. Um, she could afford to cover it and and this is what she'll probably do. But in terms of actually that loss, that tax loss, mm. um, she kind of believe. and well, I get your advice, I don't believe it, but what what in terms of <laughs> she has a $50,000 tax loss on that property, 
So it'll be how does it how does that actually work? When does she actually get the benefit of that loss on that investment property? So because it's a capital asset, it's going to be a capital loss, the same as it would have been a capital gain if there was mm. a profit. Yeah. Um, you can only offset capital losses against future capital gains. So unfortunately yep. for her, it's not going to offset her taxable income in the year that she mm. um, sells it. She will have to carry that capital gain forward indefinitely, and you can. It'll yep. go forward yep. indefinitely in your tax return until you make a future capital gain to mm. offset it. So if she buys another property in the future and does make a gain or other investment assets, then she can use it against that. That's like in the bank for her for future. <laughs> it is. And that's but still, the thing. Does it go it up? It doesn't in, help her now. No. Doesn't. And also, if, if say, you got a $40,000 loss, mm-hmm. In 10 years' time, it's still $40,000 or is it indexed? Nope, $40,000. <laughs> it diminishes in value. Yes. Well, the AGA mm. do like to be hypocrites. So if you, make, <laughs> if you make a gain, you claim it on your tax return that year, but you make a loss. Nope, can't use nope, that. can't um, use that. Got to mm. wait for you to make another gain. So, yeah. you know, they like to play both mm. sides of the coin. Mm. But you're right. So, like, you know, her belief was, and a lot of people's belief was, that she could claim that off her mm. nope. tax return. No. Nope. And, um, you know, in the reality, she's got to lose that money today. And she's and got to wait till she makes more investment gain. Yeah, which could and, be but she has sometime. to actually sell something. So you know, oh, that's right. You, you hope she do it in um, shares or something. So not property. Yeah, <laughs> and then it's hard to you know forty thousand gain. You might have to invest say forty, fifty grand. But the cost of double. true. But the cost of getting in and out of buying shares, if you're going to do it that it's way, easy. and I'm not, and a, I'm not an expert in this by any chance. I'm not by any stretch, but. But it's, you know, it's much easier to get in. It's much more liquid than yeah. property. I mean, that's one of the benefits of shares over property. But then with property, you're much more leveraged than you well, are with exactly shares. So right. she might yes. make the game a lot faster the, yeah, exactly. in terms of property <laughs> if, if it's a good property. Yeah, in but the if she lose it in, but in then she might duty. not sell it for the next 10, 20 yeah, yeah. years. So, hmm. so our, uh, Veronica and I was actually presenting at a conference uh, event last year. And, um, you know, we get the questions after. And um, a chap in the front road kind of piped up and said, Land tax. Mm-hmm. What can you do about land tax? I hate paying land tax. I've got a massive land tax problem. Um, and you know, Veronica and I had our answers towards that because um, I think it's a good problem to have. Mm-hmm. You've got a land tax problem. Oh, it's a horrible. But it is a horrible bill, bill to pay. It's a disgusting <laughs> bill. Honestly, I hate the way it's I hate structured. paying it. So Veronica's <laughs> very passionate about this. But it's going to be other it, ways. But the reality <laughs> is land tax is something that's very misunderstood. Yep. Can you explain how it works for property investors and ways to, I guess, minimise or reduce land tax? So land tax is based on whatever the value of the land is and usually you can work that out from your council rates notice. The Mm. first notice of the year gives you what your land value is. Um, In New South Wales, it's 700. You guys probably know exactly what it is. Um, It's roughly five-ish, I think. Five to six. It's gone up a bit, hasn't it? It's gone up. The threshold. Um, The threshold, Yeah. yeah. So it's based on the value of your land over that threshold Um, and then... Um, so it's the land component. That's the thing where people It's the say, land. It's not the yes. value of the property. Mm. Yep. Correct. And so if you've got a house, potentially, and that's there'll what be a you lot want, you more want land. Yeah, there'll be a lot more land value in a house mm. than there will be in a unit yes. because, you know, there's lots of units on one block of land. Mm. Um, so, um, and again, it depends who owns the property. Um, if you own it as an individual or in joint names, then you get one threshold. Um, if you own it as a trust, um, you don't get a threshold unless you're a fixed trust in New South Wales. So um, we have some clients that hold property in trusts, but then they pay land tax from dollar one. Mm. 
Um, so that can affect it as well. Another good reason to get some accounting advice. advice before you sign a contract. Correct. Yep. <laughs> We're going to go there with well, trust because yeah. I think yeah. that's really Come important. Back to but that. Yeah. Um, the other thing is each state has their own land tax threshold. Good point. So, you know, if you own property in, if you own five properties in New South Wales, you're going to probably pay land tax at quite a decent rate. Whereas yep. if you owned a property in each state of New, of Australia, you may yep. not pay any land and tax. And that's one of the reasons I see, I think it's very unfair tax too, because mm-hmm. it, you can work around it like that. Yes. Most anyway, taxes just... have got, you know, <laughs> fours with them. So you're right though. So if, let's say you're a couple, you get, you, a couple, you get two no, thresholds. No, you get one threshold if you own it jointly. And you say you get one threshold. So the only way to do, get avoid that is to split it. Yes. So you, you know, have it over across two properties. Yep. Mm. Yep. And <laughs> if, but let's say someone buys it all in one name, um, and they think they're going to avoid land tax, you know, and they've already had other properties, right? Yeah. Because they go, well, I'll get, um, you know, I get a lot of clients who say, for example, they want to get negative gearing. Yes. And so they'll put in the high income tax earner. Yep. But then they don't realise that. That then you're going to end up paying land tax. With a land tax mm-hmm. issue. Mm-hmm. Because he'll end up owning several properties, pushing him over the threshold. And then you're into that, yep, into that scenario. So the elephant in the room is 100% for you. The reason that Chris and I do this podcast is because we passionately believe that property buyers can do it better. We really want to help all of you understand all the risks, but also the ways in which you can avoid your elephant making the decisions. But what we would love for you to do is just to share this episode and share other episodes with people around you that are going through the property process. Give us a review on iTunes. Five star, please, would be very appreciated because this is about making sure that we all benefit from the wonderful information that our guests have been sharing with us. I discovered land tax actually when I, when I got a bill. Yeah, yeah, so I got rid of that accountant mm. um, who I was using before then. So I had my principal place of residence. I had another investment property. I bought a house because land the values in the land, you know, and oh, that's what you have to do. And then I moved in with my partner at the time into not like I didn't buy another property straight away. And so I had my six years and I, then I sold it. But in the, And then that sort of triggered something and yes. all of a sudden I got a land tax bill for like for four years yes. or something. Anyway, yeah. it was all the so whole six years. And I was like, oh, I was incensed. Oh, it's a principal place of residence. So I even rang them and had a go at them. And they went, Not oh, if you're renting it. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. It's like, mm-hmm. sorry, mm-hmm. we're the state government. Mm-hmm. That's the federal government. Mm-hmm. As in, you know, principal place of residence and mm-hmm. your tax in that regard. Yeah, that's the ATO was this one state. And I was like, oh, mm-hmm. and I rang my accountant. Why didn't you warn me about this? I did. Really? <laughs> really? Yeah. You did. Yeah. Which is why I just got the bill. Um, yeah. yeah. So, look, I've been caught out with that one too in the past. Mm. Um, a lot of solicitors that we deal with will register you for land tax when you buy that property, mm. yeah. even if it's your principal place of residence oh, because wow. your situation may change oh. in the future. You know, like if they say to you, will you stay in this property forever? You mm. know, most people can't say yes to that question. I've, forever um, home for me. Yeah, Hashtag forever right. home. Yep. <laughs> I just moved. Um, I never do it yeah, again. Yeah. <laughs> so, but once you register, if it's your principal place of residence, you never get the bill. Mm. Yeah. But if it changes and you do rent it out, and they do compare tax records, mm. that's how they would have found. Yeah, you know, they yeah. would have found that you were renting that property and mm. had rental income in your tax mm. returns. So now, Big great, brother, we'll, we'll catch you. We'll do it. <laughs> and they actually often catch most people when they sell properties. Yes, yeah. that's I've heard the that. trigger point. Mm, yeah, because mm. they check what's gone on with that property in yeah. the past. But so, with yes. land tax as well, it is tax deductible, isn't it? Yes. Yep. And yeah, so, how ridiculous is that? <laughs> so, you know, that's the thing. Like if you are uh, 
you know, yes, it's an expensive it's bill to pay. Hmm. And then but you get 40, 50% of that back, mm-hmm. you know, and it's, yeah, it's not, not the same as not paying it. Mm. Yeah, but I mean, it's, it's it's something that, you know, I think if a lot of people think, oh, it's, it's a, another number to factor into your cash flow. Yes. When you're yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and, you know, when the market was rising, and mm-hmm. so I've, I've actually sold a couple of houses, so I, my bill's not so great any longer, thank God. Um, but when the market was rising every year, I get that bill and I'd choke on it because it just honestly was like terrible. And, but I'd sit down and I'd work out my, my capital gain mm-hmm. over the previous year. And I'm like, yeah, okay, fine. I'm, it's well under. Mm-hmm. I, I'm okay. Um, but then the, the market started falling. Mm. You don't have such a lovely, warm, fuzzy feeling when you start considering you've made losses potentially mm. over mm-hmm. the previous year. Um, and, you know, and you never make the loss until you actually realise it, of course. But still, I'm, I'm monitoring the values of the properties and you're still paying the bill. Yep. It doesn't change. Great. In fact, it, in two of them it went up. Mm-hmm. The, the market was actually falling. I'm like, I really defies logic how you can have it going up. You can question your land tax valuation. Mm. Yeah. I did that exercise with our previous home just it to work? do it. Mm. Um, yes, because we had a big easement across the back of our property mm-hmm. um, that we couldn't use. So I, for the exercise, you know, because I'm an accountant, Why not? I thought I should have a, a go at that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. Um, so I did it and we did get a valuation reduction yeah. because they do tend to look at, you know, your average property, mm. in, yeah. not across the whole suburb, but in streets and areas yeah. and things like that. Um, but that was something that was odd on ours compared mm. to, you know, lots of normal blocks. And it's not an easy process, is it, actually? No, it took a long time. Yeah, yeah, because <laughs> yeah. I did consider it a couple of times. Mm. Um, but, yeah, yeah, and I went, yeah. oh, my God. And yes, I, it's and a long I, application yeah. and you've got to document things and then it's a lot. It was a long process yeah. of time. And mm. you, I think you need to know quite a lot about property values mm. to be able to do it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the other reason is the councils generally are conservative because if they were you know, a bit over the top, then you'd have a complete nightmare with headache of paperwork because everybody would be... It's what your council rates are based on. Yeah. So, yeah, they can't just suddenly hike everyone's council rates or people scream about that too. Yeah. (laughs) So I guess um, let's take a shift into a different direction. Monica mentioned it just there. She said, oh, I did the six-year rule, et cetera. Can you please explain, like, because, you know, it is a great strategy for, you know, a lot of people who potentially want to buy, um, haven't got a property and um, want to buy their future home mm-hmm. but don't want to live in it today. Mm-hmm. And one strategy that, you know, sometimes I talk to clients about is, um, you know, you buy the house that you might live in in five, ten years with a family. Yep. Um, but because it's in an area or it's too big for what you need today is you move into it, um, make it your principal place of residence because you haven't got any other property. Correct. Um, and you live in it for a period and then you move out and you rent something else and have it growing tax-free. Can you please explain how that strategy really works and where can it go wrong um, yep. in terms of <laughs> so, shooting yourself in the foot? Where can it grow? Um, so first of all, you actually have to move into it. So you can't just buy a property, deem it to be a principal place of residence and then, you know, be there for a week. No. Mm. Um, a bit like that non-resident we spoke about earlier, you have to actually establish it as your principal place of residence. So you need to live there. You mm. can't not mm. live there. Yeah. Um, you need to get things like your mail sent there, your your electoral roll address, your motor vehicle licence, yeah. you know, all of those things have to demonstrate that you're that you're there. Mm. Um, Electricity and gas bills. Yes, yeah. You actually have to mm. pay expenses for the property. You can't. Yeah. You can't just still live at home with mum and dad and leave it yep. sit there empty. Um, <laughs> so yeah, so you have got to be there. Um, you uh, you can 
and there's no set period for what that is. Again, it's intent um, to a certain extent, but I would heavily suggest it needs to be at least six months to a year kind of thing, mm. at least a year I would suggest, you know. It's a good point. And it's, it's, but it's got to be your intention for it to be your home. Yeah, because a lot of... You can't have a principal place of residence if it's not your home yeah. and you need to live there. Because so. there is a lot of that sort of rent vesting mentality, but yeah. oh, I'm just going to live in it for six months yeah. and then be back with my parents. So that, that does, the intent doesn't sound like... So and where does it be, where right? does it come unstuck? I've had a couple of people mm. who have bought properties um, and rented it, you know, for cash to their friend for that first twelve months, uh. but they didn't do all the stuff. So there was electricity being paid on that property and things like that. Well, and the electricity them. bill, no, well they they put the electricity bill in their in their mm. name, but they left all their car license, you know, their license address and their electoral roll address mm. and everything was elsewhere. Mm. So. Um, so the, yeah, they got it knocked back. That was yeah. They I mean, that's exactly it. right. So, yeah. um, you know, I've got <laughs> clients, and you know, I was recommending they go down this strategy yes. because of the potential of a, that future good quality asset in Sydney growing mm-hmm. tax free for them. Mm-hmm. So the pain of leaving a rental property that they love, yep. breaking a lease, going off the bond register, actually moving, moving into the property, yep. moving in, oh, um, the drama for, of it, <laughs> but six to twelve months. Moving but, out again. Yeah, yeah. yuck. But and how long can it grow tax-free? Obviously, we've said six the rule. Six so, years. Yeah, so it's six years. And it can, you can come and go in that six year and restart the period again too. Okay. So mm. um, so it, you've got to move back in before that six-year period. If you don't move in, you can potentially have that period as tax-free, but it, the, the clock, but not mm. if you have another principal place of residence. Yeah. You've got to make sure you don't buy something else and deem that to be um, principal place of residence. And as a couple, um, say, could you, you know, one person own that property and the other person buy the next one? Does, yes. Can that but, work? But as a, a couple, murky, you, can only, you can only have one principal place of residence. Which really sucks, as a doesn't couple. it? <laughs> yes. Doesn't it suck? Well, yeah. I mean, the reality is it's, it's, a, it's the biggest tax write-off in Australia is <laughs> home ownership. Um, <laughs> yeah, and yeah. so the government doesn't People want to give two free tickets to the, yeah. to the biggest tax yeah. write-off. And but. yes, we get asked that question a lot too, you know, with people that have, you know, as people are older, mm. you know, they both do have a property, then they get together. Yeah. Um, you know, so are we going to live in yours or are we going to live in mine? Um, but the minute you rent one of them out, that's a problem, obviously. You can't, so there's some tax you know, implications because, to the loveness. Yeah, so you really <laughs> need to think about that one. And again, that comes down to documentation because mm. we've had a client go, well, we both have um, our own property and neither of them are being rented. I live in mine, mm. she lives in hers. And then we go, but you're putting her address on your tax return. <laughs> so that doesn't really wash in terms <laughs> of, <laughs> yeah. And so, so the Big Brother ATO, um, how Big Brother is it becoming? Huge. Because they know everything. Yes. Yeah. And so and what they are some can of the find new, out everything. What are some of the new data feeds that they're using that they weren't using, say when you started your career? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there was like a lot of paper back then. But uh, <laughs> yeah, now everything's electronic. So all government agencies share information. Yeah. Um so anything that's related to Centrelink in terms of income is certainly shared. Um uh, the um, registrations of cars and vehicles nowadays is shared with the tax office and that's catching lots of people out. You know, mm. you've got someone with a luxury vehicle or the boat down in the marina um, and they're <laughs> saying they earn ten or $20,000 a year kind of thing. How do you afford that asset? Um, oh, my God. Yes. Oh, yeah, good, yeah. Good. So they do. Yeah. Um, they track with Austrac, they track cash transactions over $10,000. Mm. Um, they check property title records and changes. So anytime you buy or sell a property... Um, anytime you buy or sell shares, uh, the interest that you earn on your bank account, all of that is fed to the ATO now. And wow. one new one, I think, is there a partnership with Airbnb? 
Uh, yes, uh, yeah, a lot of businesses are now sending their data to the ATO and that's one the ATO came out a few months ago and said that that's going to happen this year. Yep. So Airbnb will be, in the same way that your employer tells the ATO what your salaries and mm. wages is, Airbnb will be telling them what your rental income was. So <clears throat> I love Airbnb. I've had a few, you know, some people don't love it as much as me, but mm-hmm. I think it's great. But I don't. Are you? This podcast is not being sponsored by Airbnb. No, if they want to sponsor us, I'm happy to be sponsored by Airbnb. Even though we don't take any sponsors, um, we've had a few requests recently. We've had to decline. But um, the Airbnb, in terms of renting your home out, um, like renting a room out. Yes. Can you explain the big consequence that this has? Um, Apart from not getting on with your neighbours. Oh, um, yep. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, oh, no. has got a story there, but anyway. The big consequence could be that it's going to taint your capital gains tax-free status of your principal place of residence. Mm. So. <laughs> so let's just think number's yeah. always good. Yeah, because, yeah. you know, if you Airbnb your spare room or you yep. go overseas and then you mm-hmm. Airbnb your house out. Yep. Right. So it's a little bit, I can't give you a definite black and white answer. Mm. It really depends on what are you renting and how much and for how long and proportionately of what, you know, how long have you owned the property? So, for instance, I've got a client who's owned a property for probably 10-odd years. Mm -hmm. Um, He is looking at renting his property out for three months a year while he goes overseas on holidays. Yeah. Um, And I've kind of said to him, so that's quite a decent chunk of time. Uh, I think for a quarter of every year, your property is going to be subject to capital gains tax. Mm. Now, because... Um, we're not going to get a valuation every three months, you know. Yeah, like yep, we will yep. probably track it based on his um, time that he rents it out. So every year we'll be tr- including that income in his tax return. Obviously, while the, for that three months he can claim his um, council rates and running mm. costs and all that sort of thing. Yep. Um, so taxable income and taxable expenses. But we will document the number of days every year that it's rented. And when we do the capital gains tax calc at the end of the period, that period will be subject to CGT. And obviously his accounting bills are going to be higher too. Yes, yep. Yeah. <laughs> Well, you've got to pay for but it's things. records too, yeah. because mm. if he holds that holds that property for the next ten years mm. and he only does this two or three times, um, in ten years' time, bit, you need it. He'll probably forget mm. to tell his accountant that yep. it happened. Yeah. In fact, most people don't tell their accountant that they're Airbnb anyway. So, yeah, that's right. Um, but in ten years' time, he probably won't remember that mm. he, you know, when. Like I'll be saying, well, when did you rent it out? And I'll be, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, yeah exactly. And, and yeah. you don't actually have to keep tax records for longer than five years. Well, really, that's a trick, now, isn't it? So yeah. you won't necessarily have the yeah. records either. Mm. Yeah, so it's interesting because I think um, a lot of people think, oh, you know, I've got a spare room, or mm-hmm. you know, I can help me with the rent. I'm buying an investment property. I'm going to live in it, and then. Airbnb, the second room. You know, it's, it's definitely think, a strategy. I think it depends. If you did it for one weekend a year or something, that's, you know, not worried about that. Mm. But if you rent that second room for six months mm. of the year or for the whole year, then, yeah, definitely half, potentially half your property is subject to CGT. Wow. Because it might be one bedroom, but if it's share the kitchen, share the bathroom, yeah. share the lounge room, mm. yeah. Mm. Exactly right. So you kind of go, well, you know, I'm getting 150 a night on Airbnb. Then you take off Airbnb fee take off all your running costs um, and you end up and you tax on any mm, gain, mm. on any rental sort of gain. But, and say for argument's sake it went up 100 grand in a year and you rented it out for a quarter at the time, so it's 25 grand in gain, so yep. then you're going to pay half of that in tax if you've got in the, in the top bracket, so you, you lose about 12 grand. Are you going to get 12 grand net? Exactly. 
out of your rent. Is it worth mm. it? it? And then you're going to have it. someone in your house. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and that's the thing. Is it actually worth it mm. sometimes? Because people don't factor in the potential cost of capital gains Down tax. Down the track. Yeah. And home offices are exactly the same thing, correct. I believe. Yep, correct. Yeah, so... Uh, yes, people, if you claim it, yeah. Yeah, so if, mm. you, if you're claiming a business is running from your home, then, yeah, it can, it'll, again, taint that capital gains. So the best way status. to do it is to rent. So if you want to do that, go and rent somewhere. Yep. And do, go, go to town. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, re- because r- rent not, part of your impact- rent. Yeah, part of your rent is yeah, yeah. potentially subject to for a deduction, but that's, yeah, but there's that's, no capital gains. That's income. On that's income. Correct. That's not yeah. actually affecting any any capital gains. So mm. basically, the moral yeah. of this story is only rent your room out, only have a business at home if if you, rent. you don't own it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, fundamentally, it is it. You know, because you think oh, owners are going to help me right. pay the mortgage. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to put my office in there and claim well, more expenses. It probably does help you pay the mortgage, but yeah. down mm. the track there'll be a bill when you sell it. Yes, and I love this stuff. But for some people, that might let them get into like yes, there'll be a bill. But it's not all negative. Like if that lets them get into that property, you know, or, you know, lets them get the other 75% of capital growth under their belt, yes, I'm going to pay some CGT, but maybe that's the cost of me getting the rest of the growth. Mm. It's a really good point, actually, because cash flow is... And the same with business scenarios. Like sometimes people cannot afford to go and rent somewhere to run their business Mm. out of, but they can out of their home. So, Mm. and and if you know you're going to... So in terms of business scenarios, if you know you're going to... Yes, I'm going to pay CGT... But I can then claim, you know, maybe whatever percentage of the interest on yep. the bill and that sort of thing. So it helps with your holding and running costs while you're, you know, getting established. Mm, if you need it. Mm. So what's some of the common tax mistakes that you see um, people either not claiming or over-claiming? Or let's maybe not more towards personal tax, more like around property. Yep. What's some of the mistakes you think where, guys, I've... Just reviewed your property tax, and you've been overclaiming this or underclaiming this for the last ten years. Yep. We need to adjust ten tax returns, sort of thing. Yeah. Oh, are we jumping ahead to the Dumbo here, or have you, oh, got, no, have you got another one? one. Oh, I've kept good. one for the Dumbo. You've got one. You've got one stashed away. Keep <laughs> but, going. But there's lots. Mistakes. When I spoke to some of the guys in our office, you know, everyone came up with lots of stories. So, yeah. um, lack of records is the big one. You <laughs> yeah. know, like especially when you're selling properties, people can't come up with records. Mm. Holiday homes. You know, uh, um, everyone's claiming their holiday homes. That's another thing the ATO can now track to. Yeah. You know? Right. Um, well, yeah, as in when you say they can track it, what do you mean they can track it? They're well, if you, uh, you know, if you say oh, I've got a holiday house and it's available for rent for the mm. whole year, <laughs> um, they, you know, if they really want to, they'll go, well, show me how it was publicly available mm. for rent. Yeah. And you go, oh, oh, well, I had an agent. Well, if and someone then, rang me, yeah. I would have rented it. <laughs> but you've got to have it listed with an agent, yeah. you know. And you well, can't, I'm Airbnb. And you can't put it on Airbnb and stays and things like that, but then block out all the Christmas holidays, no. school holidays, Easter, you know, <laughs> that mm. sort of thing. Um, I remember like when I started, my first job was as an accountant. And I, um, it was kind of common knowledge at that point that accountants were the biggest users of holiday homes. No, I don't, they, I don't have one. Because they understood. <laughs> yeah, a really bad idea. Yeah, because yeah. they, because the reality was at that point, like the accountants would say that it's available well, for, for rent, rent, but it's a thousand dollars a night. Yes, and no one's going to pay that. And no one's going to pay that. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, um, so, so, yep, holiday homes with people claiming, and we've had. Several clients have come to me over the years with their, you know, holiday home they've claimed and, you know, it's been a $20,000 deduction in their tax returns oh, and things. Yeah. And, and I go, no, sorry, can't have that this year, you know. <laughs> going, oh, we'll go back to our old account then. But, you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, so holiday homes, um, lack of depreciation reports. Um, yeah, big one. Interest and um, claiming interest on properties. So, mm. and that's a big one, actually. And, again, it's record So they're not doing it or they? Um, well, they do it bad. Well, 
they don't understand what they're doing. So obviously if you borrow money to mm. buy the property, you can claim the interest. Just... But a lot of people have then um, maybe paid back a chunk of that loan uh... and then they redraw um, money to use for the car or, you know, something like that. As opposed to having an offset, offset account. Offset it. I hate redraw accounts. I love offset yeah, accounts. Yeah, okay. Yeah, that's, a, yeah. Yeah, that's mm. a whole topic on its own, yeah, how it to is, use that yeah. properly. Well, let's go there because I think okay. it's a very important one because I think um, just literally um, last week I had a, a couple of email communications with a client and a couple of phone calls mm-hmm. discussing this topic. And, um, you know, I'm a tax financial advisor, so I can talk about these yep. things. Um, the... You know, and her understanding, say, let's talk about her situation because I think it is easy to explain. She bought an apartment yep. in the east. It's doubled. Mm-hmm. Bought really well. Um, older apartment in, you know, eastern suburbs. Uh, moved overseas and she's paid it off because, yep. you know, she had, had a 20% deposit. Uh, so there was 600 she paid and now the, now that property's debt free. Yep. Because um, she had cash when she was away living mm. overseas. Uh, she thought she was doing the right thing, mm-hmm. yeah. which, um, you know, fair enough. And she bought really well. So she mm. did, did two things. She built a lot of equity for herself. She paid the mortgage off. But B, she bought really well, so it doubled. So um, whether it's capital gains tax or something, we'll talk about that as a side issue. But she's come back and we because she knows it's a great property because it's doubled and her mother's got a few properties. When you said doubled, in how long? I just want to know. Uh, like I think she bought in 2011 or something. She yeah, bought really well. It was like a really nice part of Less it. Less than ten years, doubled. Yeah. Good. Yeah, it's like a really nice older block, mm-hmm. north facing balcony. It's a yeah. and and so and it is actually a cracking apartment. Um, it's a quite a nice building and things like that mm-hmm. as well. Um, so we don't really want to sell it. Nope. Because, but if you do, I've got a few clients might pick that one up. Yeah. <laughs> it would be something you'd buy, <laughs> yeah. to be honest. And that's the thing. I, and so mm. it's really hard for her to get ahead around selling it. Yep. Mm. Uh, and her mother's saying, don't sell it. And but she's like trapped all the equity in it. Yeah. So she's paid her loan off oh, now. No. She's paid it off. And that's the problem. Because oh. once you've paid that loan off, that property has no loan on it anymore. So if she uses the equity in that property to go and buy another property, mm. that's okay. Because if she, well, if it's another rental property, but if she uses the Mm. equity in that property to buy her principal place of residence, the tax office looks at what is the purpose of the borrowing. Mm. And if the purpose of the borrowing is to buy a principal place of residence, it's not tax deductible. Yeah, exactly right. And so even though the loan's not secured by, or the loan is secured by an investment property, Mm. it's what the purpose of that money was used for. So so back to my little example before where, you know, you've paid down a chunk of uh, the loan with, and then, you know, the balance is down. Such a sensible thing to do. And then you go, oh, I'd really like to buy a new car. So you redraw the $50,000 and buy the new car. Mm. That $50,000 is not tax deductible anymore. Mm. But that's a really messy calculation every year now to then work out this bit's deductible, this bit's not. And for every principal payment you make in future, you've got to split it between the tax deductible loan and the non-deductible loan. So, so to keep it all separate. Yes. So we really like mm. offset accounts for that yep. because mm. um, if you have an offset account and the loan statement itself will always say um, the same figure. So, you know, you've got a loan yeah. balance. Yep. It always says 500000 for instance. Yep. Mm. Any extra cash you've got, you put into your offset account, which is a separate savings account. Yep. For interest purposes, the two balances net off and you pay interest on the lower amount. Mm. Yep. But in 10 years' time, you might have 200 saved in that offset account. The loan still says 500. Yep. Yep. You can take your 200 out of the offset account and buy your next property, but your loan is still 500, the full amount it was. Not not 300 now because you've paid it down. Yeah. And when will the tax office... 
decide that that's no longer going to be available to everyone because it's such yeah, a Yeah, look, there's great, been, there's been issues thing of moment, things yeah. around years ago, mm. split loans and all sorts of things, but yeah. I think, you know, at this stage that's still quite reasonable. Mm. Um, certainly there's been nothing I've read about it that they're saying that's not okay really. So, that's good. But yeah, it depends. So you need really good yeah, structuring it, advice. Yeah, mm. it really does depend. Mm. You've got to follow things, do it properly, you yeah. know. Yeah, Yeah. so sometimes clients will get a bit frustrated because we will come up with a loan strategy um you know, me and Ben. Ben actually does it, to be honest. Uh, and he, it's, it's the royal we. Yeah, and uh, he he basically says, like, you know, step one, we refinance, we release equity, and we do this loan split. And sometimes clients get very confused because there's like six loan splits. Yep. Um, and we're unsecuring properties, and we're and um, you know, it, for them, it's very complicated. And they go, can't we just all have it in one split and no. things like that? And <laughs> You've got to be um, – you can join splits together in the mm. future if you keep evidence yes. um, and etc. But it like all that. comes back to what was the purpose of loan. So if the exactly. purpose of a new loan is to pay out a previous tax deductible loan, that's okay. It yep. still maintains that tax deductibility. Um, but you've got to be very careful. And we've had people burned like that in the past where, you know, they've blended things – um, we've been able to go, well, it's a 60-40 split, but mm. then in the years to come they've sold something else and paid down more equity and then it's, you know, diluted things again. Yes. And yeah, so it gets quite messy. What if I you... think it's better to have separate lines, like cleaner, yeah. cleaner oh, to God, have. yeah, would save them mm. an accountant bill too, I imagine. Yep, but, definitely. Um, mm. So what if you buy a property, like I have, I bought my house, which is now my house and I'm living in it, everybody. <laughs> Am I excited or what? Mm-hmm. Um <laughs> But um, this is what I live for, you know. But so I bought it and it was rented out. The purpose of that loan really was to ultimately renovate and become my home. What am I shouldn't saying this on here? <laughs> <laughs> I'm shutting up now. The ATO might listen to this. But no, but I but I was able to claim the deductions yes. on that interest for the period of time it was rented out. Yep, which is what I did with mine before yeah. we did the knockdown rebuild. Yeah. So, but so obviously there's a bit of CGT there now. But yeah, yeah so you can. Um, but when you move into it, now yeah. it's your principal place yes. residence can't claim the interest. Obviously. No. Yeah. So it's interesting there. You made a good point. So let's say you bought an investment property and you knew you were going to live in it in the future. Um, there's a big discussion around rent uh, maintenance yes. versus repairs. Yep. And what is repairs and what is maintenance, right? So if, for example, you knew you were going to live in it in the future, the reality is you'd want to kind of renovate it while it's an investment property. And sometimes people can get themselves in a problem here because mm. they start doing things that are really repairs and improvements. Improvements is rather the issue. than maintenance. Yep. yep. Mm. And can so can you please explain what how does the HA look at it? Because, you know, the easy question is you break a window and you replace it with a nicer window, but it's not that simple, is it? You, <laughs> no. you have to be very careful where Yeah, so there's 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 repairs and, you know, things that you have to do to maintain the property at the state it's in and there's mm. improvements. Yeah. So when you buy a property, um, if you make improvements to that property in the first initial period after you've bought it, the tax office says they are capital amounts that right. you have to treat as part of your cost base of the property so you can't mm. claim deductions for mm. them. Um, they may be um, able to be part of that uh, capital allowances thing if they're structural and, you know, yep. 2.5% and that sort of thing in the future, but they're capital. You can't just claim tax deductions for them. Um, yeah, but they might be used to offset the capital gains tax at the end when yes, you sell it. Yes, that's right. Yeah, mm. part of that cost base of the property. Mm. Um, so, and again, it's there's no set time frame, but I would say at least six, 12 months would be yes. my recommended period, <laughs> minimum 12 months kind of thing. So, <laughs> so if you buy the property thinking in a couple of years I'll move in and then you replace the kitchen and you upgrade all the windows and you build a deck out the back and... 
and you do it in the first 12 months, I would say, well, none of that is tax deductible. Mm -hmm. Um, If you have, though, a tenant in there um, and the shower head falls off the wall, um, obviously that's replacement. Um, If the window pane broke and you needed it replaced then, or the window itself broke and you put another wooden window back in, Mm. you know, that might be replacement type costs Mm. um, as opposed to improvements. Um, the big example always kicks around is fences, you know, like if you've got the half falling down paling fence and you suddenly decide you're going to replace all the fences on the block kind of mm. thing with um, new colour bond, mm. um, it's a different improved ah, fence. Okay. Right. Um, so it's not just fixing and patching what was there kind mm. of thing. Um, so, yeah, again, so I guess it's, it's something to kind of look at before you spend the money. Yeah, yeah. could you say, though, that the improvements are needed to justify a better tenant? But it's still an initial improvement. Yeah, let's say you've been so, ready the property so, out for two or three years. Oh, down the track? Mm, yes, yep, that, and, that's different. Yeah, um, if you've got a yeah. revenue stream and you need to, you know, replace the carpets because um, they're mouldy and disgusting and then you'll get a better <laughs> rate of return, um, yeah, definitely. Then yeah. it becomes a depreciable item. The same with a new kitchen or, mm. you know, that sort of thing at that stage. So. Yep. And so that's kind of the strategy there. So let's say you uh, have a – you buy a more of a run-down older house, which yep. is an established property um, – Try not to do too many renovations yep. or repairs it, yep. initially. In the first 12 months. Yep. Rent it to students. Rent it out, <laughs> yep. And yeah. then, Get you know, a revenue you stream. Do your first tax return. It's not a new property anymore. Mm. Yep. Yeah. And then look at what do you need to do in terms of improvements and they'll be deductible or depreciable. Depreciable. This is, this is depending around, on what you're doing at the, you know, yeah, what Yeah, a property that you're thinking you're going to live in at some point. Or does it matter? Uh, no, it doesn't matter. Yeah, it doesn't like it, matter, it doesn't yeah. matter. It's mm. any property. So any initial repairs not deductible, um, capital cost, um, anything down the mm. track, then yes, you can look at it. So, yeah. Mm. So what were they on the? Because I think the other ones around the borrowing costs. Mm-hmm. Um, I yep. think that's a common mistake that you know a lot of people don't realise. So when they originally buy the property, there's certain expenses on an investment property that you can claim over a certain yep, number of years. period of time. How does that really work? Like things like lender's mortgage insurance, which sometimes people don't know is tax deductible. Yep. So all your initial purchase costs of the property, so obviously your property cost, your legal fees, your stamp duty, all capital items, can't claim you at all. You buyer's agent. Yes, buyer's agent's fees. Yep, capital. No tax mm. deductions, all part of your cost base. Um, but the borrowing costs, so you might be paying lender's mortgage insurance, borrowing costs to your bank for your loan, um, they're deductible over five years, so you can um, apportion them and then claim them mm. over the time frame. Mm. Yeah, so a lot of people don't realise that that you know for a home, if you're buying paying lenders mortgage insurance, it's not tax deductible. But if you're paying lenders mortgage insurance to buy a pure investment property, yes, mm. you know that is deductible over five years. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, you don't want to pay too much in lenders mortgage insurance. So you could probably pay about eighty eight percent loan, but it's not the end of the world to pay that. Pay a little bit to get in the door. To get mm. in the door but also then it's tax deductible. So your real cost isn't actually that much. Mm. And then you keep a lot more as a buffer. So it's a strategy that Mm -hmm. people don't know because they don't know it's deductible. It's a really interesting one, actually, because a lot of people, I I just had an email from someone during the week and I'm a first home buyer. Can you help me? I want to borrow. I want to spend under 650 because I want to get all these government incentives and I don't want to pay lenders mortgage insurance, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, I go back and say, well, here's a bunch of resources because actually if that's what you want to do, no, I can't help you. But, you know, is that the only reason that you're keeping your threshold at six hundred fifty thousand? Because really, what are you? What are you? What are your objectives here? Mm. And what can you borrow? What can you afford? What mm. What do you really want? How long are you gonna live in it? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Let's ask some other questions. And you know, it hasn't come back. But you know, yeah. if, if you came back and said, "Oh, I could borrow up to a million, but I didn't want to do this," and blah blah blah, and you, 
and and you, you sort of then have the conversation, well, you can get a better asset and you might stay in it longer or it mm. might go up more or all those sorts of, um, That's right. yeah. you know, there was false economy of it's trying all, to. But again, it's all that know your numbers and know what your options yeah, are. So, exactly. you know, like, yes, I could borrow this much. Yes, it's going to cost me a bit more, but factor that into, you, you know, against the rental mm. income, I'm going to get on a better property versus a worse and that sort of thing. Mm. Yeah. Every week we hear incredible stories of the dumb things property buyers do. Dumb things that end up costing a whole lot of money and are a whole lot of stress. Mistakes that can be avoided. Please, Alison, can you give us an example of a property dumbo? We can all learn what not to do from these stories. So, yes, we had a client years ago come to us and they'd owned a property for years um, and they'd never got that quantity surveyors report in yep. the first place, never had a depreciation report. Mm. And it was quite a valuable property. There was quite a lot of deductions that they had. Um, but because with the tax office, you can only go back two years and amend tax returns, Ooh. they had lost about 10 years worth of depreciation deductions. So yeah, it was quite painful when we sat down and told them. Initially, we got them excited and went, well, you need a quantity surveyors report. And we went, you can claim this, this, and this. And then we went, oh, but you only get this last two years amendance. <laughs> so yeah, so it was a little bit bittersweet, that one. <laughs> Yeah, oh, I and, think it's... And there's, there's lots of stories. There's just... The other thing is get your name right. We hadn't talked about structures, but... Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, get the name on the contract right because we've had clients buy a property in the wrong name because they didn't... No. How does know? that work with borrowing, though? So... When you say in the wrong name, they put in their name well, instead put of a it trust. In, or... Yeah, or they've put it in a company name instead of a trust name or, right. you know, this sort of thing. So oh, yeah, I've seen complicated. that. complicated. Yeah. I've seen that, yeah. Always yeah. go back so, to my clients say, double check with you, yep, you have an yep. accountant and all lawyer. All the names, mm. yep, correct. Yeah. So, mm. like, it's really, you know, I've, I do explain to clients when they are buying investment properties, just make sure you get a depreciation and go, oh, it's old doesn't need one. I'm like, you'd be surprised. Yeah, yeah. but and they the may still is, have depreciation items in yeah. there, even if they don't have others. So. Yeah. And BMT and Washington oh, Brown. They're not expensive to no, get that exactly. report. It's and I, 600 I think, bucks. Well, I think um, I've always had more depreciation value and tax saving than the cost of the report. Yeah, and I think a lot of them actually say, like, if yeah. we don't save you what we're going to charge you, we will we won't do it. We will mm. give it back for free. Yeah, and um, we, have, we have interviewed two quantity surveys. There's Mike Mortlock and also Tyron... Um, Brown, yeah, and you know, go back to those episodes. Look them up, guys, because you learn all about this stuff. Mm -hmm. And yeah, they are—they're not that expensive, and yeah, you usually get more back than the Mm -hmm. cost. It's nuts. I mean, I recommend all of our um, investor clients get them definitely. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and a good thing is you just tell your tenant that someone's going to come around the house for an hour, and it's Mm. done, right? You're not Mm. actually, and the real estate agent will organize it for you. Not a hard process. Yeah, and so I think that's a huge one that. And it does save you a lot of money. Like it does. It's a, lot it's, of, a, it's a lot of extra tax deduction you get. For it's a big tip. And, yeah, if you miss it, you can only go back two years. Yep. So oh, it's, two years is not long. It's like when you forget to um, claim the child um, care costs at Centrelink. Same deal. <laughs> yes. So, <laughs> I've lost thousands of dollars because I can't be bothered. Well, you go in there and it's daunting. I don't know how. It, well, that's the idea, isn't it? Well, uh, yeah, and it's awful. for here. I mean, I've, I'm fortunate that I go, oh, what's my time worth? No. Um Whereas people who need, sorry, it's, we've, oh, we've segued here, they make it hard. I mean, as an accountant, I do forms all the time, yeah. and yet that's one of the hardest processes I've had to do the childcare forms when I had kids. Yep. Oh, good, I'm yeah. the only one. Mm-hmm. Right. Hopefully, I won't have to pay that. But um, the <laughs> one final question, because you're right, we didn't talk about structuring, and I think you know our listeners would be mm-hmm. kind of saying, "No one talked about trusts, yep. and we don't know when we're going to get back next." So, mm. um, sounds like we can we talk about um, on that? You know, everyone knows, like you know. Buying single name, joint tenants, tenants in common. Oh, um, 
you know, if you buy a property, you could have it in one name, but the loan can be in two names, which sometimes people don't realize. Yes. Um, but in terms of like property trusts, you know, there's a lot of books out there and a lot of people out there telling people that you want to become a property investor, you must have a property trust. What's your views on all that? And how does it actually benefit someone? And, and when, and most of the time, does it not or does it? So I would say probably 90% of my clients own property in their own names. Um, some of my bigger prop- clients, they do own property in trusts. Um, trusts, are u- for me, in my client base, trusts yep. are usually used for asset protection. Mm. Um, yep. So that's really the bottom line of why someone would use a structure other than the individual names. Um, just going back to joint names. So if I've got, you know, somebody that's in a, a risky profession, for instance, we might buy the asset in the wife's name if that's uh, from an asset protection scenario. Um, so again, it's still an individual name. You get all the, you know, individual concessions and capital gains tax and things like that. Yeah. Um, however, you know, if that's not an option, both working, you know, both in professions and things like that, you might use a trust. The downside of using trusts, though, is that you've got, it's harder to get the borrowing and, you know, it's more messy yep. and things mm, like that, true. especially nowadays. Um, land tax concessions, you know, you don't get individual thresholds with trusts unless yep. you have a fixed trust. Um, you, you know, it, there's more cost involved of it in terms yep. of running accounts and tax returns and all that sort of thing. Um, yeah, so it's... Negative it's, gearing? Uh, yes, yeah, you don't always get the same CGT concessions mm. if you use a company. Very little, yeah. there's no CGT concessions. But you pay less company tax um, than you normally do in individual tax, right? Yeah, but when you flow the cash out, the cash is still coming out. It's going to end up in someone's marginal tax mm. name, you okay, know, yeah, someone's yeah, yeah. name at their marginal mm. tax rate, and so there's no yeah, CGT okay. concessions. Yeah. Yeah. Trusts, you do get that flow through of income down to an individual, but um, unless the trust, so if the trust has the borrowing and the trust makes a loss because, you know, if yep. we're negative gearing mm. a property and it's, you know, the costs are more than the rent, yep. um, that loss is stuck in the trust. You don't mm. get the benefit at right. an individual name. Mm. So yep. so as, you know, years go by and it might become cash flow positive, you'll start to use up those losses then. But otherwise, you know, you, you've, you've got a big asset sitting there costing you, you know, dollars Ooh. to hold it that yeah. way. Yeah, And that's interesting. And you said around 90% of your clients actually own in their own names. Is that mm-hmm. because of your advice then? Yep. It de- look, it depends on circumstances. Mm. Yeah. A lot of people have a property, you know, a couple yeah, exactly. of properties. Um, there is no point going and, and unless, you know, income, unless uh, asset protection is a huge issue, and to be honest, it's not for a lot of people, yep. um, then I wouldn't at all consider structures for it, property. It's interesting. Cause and it's a, and it's partly a, an education thing too, you know. Yeah. Um, people don't understand structures and things like that. Mm. It's more expensive, you know, yeah. they don't always understand property. I would suggest you do the first one in your own name, get yep. your head around it, know mm. what's involved, you know, and if you've got a growing uh, portfolio, then um, maybe you're looking more at asset protection. But mm. if you've bought your first property and the bank owns 80% of it or 90% of it, <laughs> there's not a lot of asset that's at yeah. risk there. So no, that's <laughs> yeah, a no, really yeah. good point. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's the thing. Um, no, it's not a shot in accountants because uh, I was having shots at financial advisors before and mm-hmm. brokers um, yep. and buys agents, everyone. There are, you know, unfortunately, game. <laughs> there is, um, you know, certain professionals that 
would encourage people to take set up trusts because oh, it's more for I the, could, I, like could double my, I could double uh-huh. my income if I told every client to have a company, a trust and a self-managed super fund. And a self-managed fund. super fund. <laughs> and, uh, but it is not appropriate for most people. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? That's Great the advice. note to end this on. That, that is advice. so good. And um, <laughs> look, thank you so much for joining yeah, us it's today. Been good. It's been lovely. It yeah. has. You know, can mm. you believe we have such a spirited conversation all about tax? Yep. And we've Hopefully run... not too dry and boring. No. <laughs> and we've run way over time. Yep. And yep. it's been so good. Thank you very much. Thanks. We want to make you a better elephant rider. And this week's elephant rider training is. Well, I loved this conversation with Alison and and it's quite funny that we did take a long time to talk about tax and we could have talked for longer. There's, there was more to cover. I think what I want to talk about in this bootcamp is the importance of having a team to support you when you are buying a property. We've talked about so many traps and pitfalls in this conversation just around the tax side of things, the structuring, et cetera, et cetera. Now, you know, likewise, if you don't engage a good mortgage broker, you're going to have the same problems on the mortgage side of things. If you don't get a good lawyer, exactly the same issues there. You definitely need to talk to somebody who's an expert in insurance as well. And obviously I'd advocate that you talk to a buyer's agent who's an expert in the area in which you're looking at buying. So all of these advisors can pull together so that you don't go down a path that is really ultimately going to be the wrong path for you and ultimately cost you more money because you haven't actually understood what the traps and pitfalls were in advance. So I just want to encourage you all, build a good team around you of experts in the relevant areas and be very careful as somebody who doesn't ask enough questions about what you want for your future, but also who actually oversteps the mark and gives you advice in areas that they shouldn't be giving you advice in. It's a bit of a problem with property because, of course, property is unregulated. So therefore, be very careful of those that do give you advice outside their area of expertise. Really look for those that really like to work in, in conjunction with other experts as well, and then you will ultimately make so much better decisions. Please join us for our next episode when we interview one of Australia's arguably most quoted economists, Dr. Shane Oliver from AMP Capital. And we're really wanting to know what is going to happen to property prices according to this economist after the coronavirus crisis. Are they going to drop 20% or are they going to drop 5%? And at what point of time would you make that call and why would you make that call? And we find out all of these juicy bits of information as well worth listening to. Don't forget we're on all the social channels. We're on Facebook, we're on LinkedIn, we're on Twitter. Or you can connect with us on theelephantintheroom.com.au. The links are all there for you. Please connect and send us a message. We'd love to hear from you. Until next week, don't be a dumbo. Now remember, everything we talked about on this podcast is general in nature and should never be considered to be personal financial advice. If you're looking to get advice, please seek the help of a licensed financial advisor or buyer's agent who will tailor and document their advice to your personal circumstances with a statement of advice.